0: NHK, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We'll begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. In Tunisia, where the so-called Arab Spring began, the President has fired the Prime Minister and suspended Parliament. Following accusations of a coup which led to violent protest, he has imposed a curfew and a ban of more than three people gathering in public. More than 10,000 scientists says there has been an unprecedented surge in climate-related disasters in the past few years, and that immediate action is needed. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is preparing an assessment of climate change. An interview with Jill Dugan from the Environmental Defense Fund Europe about recent extreme weather events and the need for drastic actions in this decade. In Siberia, temperatures are increasing twice as fast as the rest of the world, melting permafrost and releasing carbon and methane. Human Rights Watch has accused Israelis and Hamas militaries of war crimes. Fighting broke out in the West Bank at a funeral for a Palestinian boy killed by Israeli troops. Canada has sworn in its first indigenous governor general. The Koreas have restored their cross-border communications channel. Thousands are protesting President Duterte in the Philippines. France has a new law requiring COVID passes to go to restaurants and other public venues, and protest followed the imposition of mandatory vaccines for all healthcare workers. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle.
1: Tunisia's president, Kais Saeed, has ordered a nighttime curfew and has banned the gathering of more than three people in public. Now, this comes after clashes erupted in the capital Tunis over the president's decision to sack his prime minister and suspend parliament. Critics warning of a power grab, but the president says that his move represents the will of the people. He's been under pressure in recent weeks following nationwide protests over the government's handling of the coronavirus crisis.
2: Protesters gather outside the gates of Parliament in Tunis. Inside the ground, security forces and military keep watch. The night before Tunisia's president sacked the Prime Minister and suspended Parliament for 30 days. Supporters and critics of the move clashed on the streets. This conflict will lead to blood flowing. People are hitting and hurting each other, it's come to violence, but why? People took to the streets to celebrate when the news broke. Many are furious about the actions of their politicians. Protesters point to the worsening COVID-19 situation and the country's deepening economic woes. President Qais Said met with protesters on the streets. And in a televised address, he said the move was completely legal. And in accordance with Article 80 of the Constitution, he could suspend Parliament. Much of the outrage is directed at the moderate Islamist Ennahida Party. The party's chairman, Rashid Ranoushi, also the Parliament speaker, tried but failed to access the Parliament grounds. He called the dismissal of the government a coup. It's unclear how the police and the unions will respond amid Tunisia's worst crisis since the Arab Spring of 2011.
1: More than 10,000 scientists say that there has been an unprecedented surge in climate-related disasters in the past few years. In an article published Wednesday in the journal Bioscience, the group is warning that several climate tipping points are imminent or have already been crossed, and they say that government's business-as-usual approach has to end. Leading scientists from around the world are meeting to finalize their highly anticipated study on global warming. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is preparing its most comprehensive assessment of the state of the planet since 2013. The panel is meeting against a backdrop of extreme weather events around the world, record-breaking heat waves and deadly floods have cost hundreds of lives in just the last few weeks. Some experts are warning that previous modeling may have underestimated the speed with which global warming would disrupt life on Earth. Joining me now from London is Jill Duggan. She is executive director at the Environmental Defense Fund Europe. Ms. Duggan, it's good to have you on the program. Let me just ask you this report by the IPCC that is being prepared now. Um, Some say it's probably one of the most important reports that we've ever received because of where we are with climate change and because the Glasgow conference is coming up this November. Would you agree?
3: Yes, I think it's really important as we come up to the, the Glasgow deadline, if you like, of the conference, that countries really understand what this means now. We've had some devastating examples of what climate change uh, can do in the last few weeks alone in India, in China and of course in Germany and Belgium in particular, as well as the heat in the northwestern United States and Canada. Uh, really extreme weather events which we know are going to become more frequent and we really need to take action both on our emissions to really drastically drive down our emissions but also as the, as your last report uh, demonstrated, we need to think about the way we live and how we can protect ourselves from the impacts of climate change as well
1: some scientists are saying that the recent extreme weather that we've been seeing across the globe um, shows us that the climate change models that we've been working with um, may actually be um, too conservative how concerned are you that this is the case
3: Um, Well, I'll await the the results of their deliberations, but I think it certainly feels like that at the moment. So I think we need to see what the scientists say. And, but we know that regardless of what they say, we need to take drastic action this decade to reduce our emissions, but also very clearly we need to take drastic action to protect ourselves, not just in the developed world, but in the developing world as well from the, the most dangerous impacts of climate change.
1: You've seen what has happened in the United States in terms of the mega drought and the wildfires. You've also seen the mega flooding that's happened in China. These two countries are key if we want to reduce CO2 emissions. Do you think these extreme weather events happening in both of these countries at the same time, do you think that they could play in our favor in the long run?
3: It certainly concentrates the mind, doesn't it? I think you know, politicians, leaders in government around the world, when they see the effects on their citizens, then they are driven to take more ambitious action. So I think you know it's sad to say that it takes disasters sometimes to elicit the the level of change and the level of urgency that we need. But I certainly hope that 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 is an outcome of, of, you know, the, the appalling events that we've seen in China, India, Germany, the United States, that that really does drive that ambition and also quieten some of the opposition. Politicians need some level of consensus to act from business, from their communities in order to be able to act and I think when citizens see what's happening, experience what's happening, have that happen to their loved ones and, and you know, friends and colleagues, then I think it makes it much more uh, possible for politicians to go further in the pledges that they make.
1: Jill Duggan with the Environmental Defence Fund Europe. Ms. Duggan, we appreciate your time and your insights tonight. Thank you. Well, the effects are also being seen in Russia, where melting permafrost is triggering mudslides and releasing greenhouse gases. In Siberia.
4: Here in Russia's Siberia, the rapidly warming climate is having a devastating effect on the landscape. Permafrost, a layer of permanently frozen soil covering two thirds of Russia's vast landmass, is melting, triggering massive mudslides. Temperatures here are heating up more than double as fast as the rest of the world, putting it on one of the front lines of climate change.
1: That's pure ice. 50% of the sediments is not carbon, it's ice. And ice is melting rapidly. Ice is mixing with these sediments and turning them into mud and all this slide down. Ice is causing ground depressions. And that's something that's why this permafrost is dangerous. Not only about carbon.
4: The thawing permafrost is creating deep depressions in the ground, leaving crumbling infrastructure in its wake.
1: So the ground subside. Uh, appear some ravines, so mud flows, uh, all the ecosystems, all the infrastructure, which is on the permafrost is getting destroyed.
4: The melt is releasing a vast reservoir of the greenhouse gases carbon and the highly flammable methane into the atmosphere. It's so combustible, methane escaping from this frozen lake can be set on fire. What happens here has global consequences. Within the permafrost lies one of the world's largest reserves of organic matter. A melting permafrost awakens the microbes within, which start converting that matter into greenhouse gases. Scientists say keeping the microbes in their icy slumber is crucial. Rousing them will mean a rude awakening for the world.
1: Human Rights Watch has released a report accusing the Israeli military of carrying out attacks that, quote, apparently amount to war crimes the strikes took place during the war against the militant hamas group in may the organization also accused hamas of war crimes by launching over four thousand unguided rockets into israel
3: in the occupied west bank clashes have broken out between israeli police and mourners at the funeral of a 12-year-old palestinian boy he was shot dead by israeli troops while in a car with his father Israel says soldiers fired on the vehicle because they believed it had been involved in, quote, a suspicious activity. Palestinian officials dispute that.
1: Canada has sworn in its first indigenous governor general, Mary Simon. She's a former broadcast journalist, diplomat and advocate of indigenous rights. She welcomed the appointment as a step towards reconciliation. It comes amid fresh revelations of the appalling treatment of indigenous communities in Canada that have shocked the country. North and South Korea have restored their cross-border communication channel after almost a year of silence. Pyongyang cut the hotline when relations with Seoul soured. A statement from the South Korean president's office says the North and South have also agreed to rebuild trust and improve ties.
3: Thousands of Filipinos have demonstrated against populist President Rodrigo Duterte's last state of the nation speech to Congress. Philippine presidents are limited to one term and Mr. Duterte is due to leave office next June. He has been criticized for his handling of the pandemic and for a heavy-handed crackdown on crime.
5: France has approved a new law requiring people to have special coronavirus passes to go to restaurants and other public venues. After hours of debate, lawmakers voted to pass the bill by a large majority. The health passes will also be needed for domestic travel. And most controversially, vaccinations are now compulsory for all health care workers. Clashes broke out in Paris over the measures this weekend. France has seen a recent spike in coronavirus cases and hospital admissions.
0: Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com. You can also find them at DW on YouTube. Next, NHK Japan. Japan continues to see record-breaking numbers of COVID infections, leading the government to extend states of emergency beyond Tokyo and Okinawa. The World Health Organization says the number of COVID deaths worldwide jumped 21% in the past week. The U.S. led the world in new cases last week. U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Debbie Sherman visited China. China is urging the U.S. to change its policy towards Beijing and to realize that they are
6: not enemies. NHK Japan Japan has confirmed more than 10,000 daily coronavirus cases for the first time. The nationwide record is fueled by a surge of infections in the capital and surrounding area. That spike has the central government looking to expand the current emergency declaration to include four more prefectures. Tokyo and Okinawa are under a state of emergency, while four other prefectures have less restrictive quasi-emergency measures in place. The government plans to expand the emergency to include Saitama, Chiba, Kanagawa, and Osaka. If the plan becomes final, five other prefectures would enter a quasi-emergency. Now, the World Health Organization says the number of deaths worldwide from the coronavirus jumped by 21% from the previous week. The WHO said over 69,000 people died in the week through July 25th. The Americas and Southeast Asia accounted for the greatest number of the fatalities. The weekly number of new infections topped 3.8 million, increasing for five weeks in a row. By country, the United States had the highest weekly number of new cases, with over 500,000, followed by Brazil, Indonesia, and Britain. As of Sunday, the accumulated number of infected people across the globe stood at more than 193 million. The WHO warns if the virus spreads at its current pace, the number could exceed 200 million, within the next two weeks. Moving to the latest on the visit to China by a senior U.S. diplomat, which was the first since President Joe Biden took office. The Chinese side has urged the U.S. to change its policy towards Beijing. It blamed Washington for strained bilateral relations. U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman met with Chinese Vice Foreign Minister Xie Fun on Monday in the city of Tianjin near Beijing. According to the Chinese foreign ministry, Xi has said the relationship between their countries is now in a stalemate and faces serious difficulties. He said this is fundamentally because some Americans portray China as an imagined enemy. He added his nation urges the U.S. to change its highly misguided mindset and dangerous policy. On Sunday night, Sherman tweeted the U.S. administration is pushing for a level playing field for American companies in China. Some observers believe she's taking a tough stance on issues such as the South China Sea and human rights. And for more on this story, NHK World's senior correspondent Makita Naoki reports from Tianjin.
5: It seemed a positive step that senior American and Chinese diplomats would sit down for face-to-face talks given the bilateral friction that's been growing even after President Joe Biden took office six months ago. But things didn't work out that way. Wendy Sherman's visit to China came after Washington and Beijing butted heads on one issue after another. They included cyber attacks that each blamed the other for, tit for tat sanctions over Hong Kong, and increasing efforts by America to rally partners to confront China. Sherman and Chinese counterpart Xie Fung staged a war of wars as was the case in the previous bilateral meeting in Alaska in March. Xi'e said the U.S. only thinks about addressing its own concerns, getting the results it wants, and advancing its own interests. Observers said Washington was willing to seek Beijing's cooperation on climate change and North Korea, while China was keen to ease tensions over its economic and technological decoupling from America. Sherman's visit is widely viewed as part of efforts to set up a summit between President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping. The focus now is on whether the two sides will take a pragmatic stance and work to arrange that summit, so as to prevent bilateral ties spinning out of control. Makita Naoki, NHK World, Ken Jin.
0: Those reports were from NHK Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7245 and 7355 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California 95490. Please help me keep producing this weekly show which is freely distributed to radio stations and the Internet. Help me like listeners of KZYX in Willits and Annapolis, California, and a KMUD listener in Trinidad, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. The Cuban Foreign Minister, Rodriguez, rejected U.S. Secretary of State Blinken's joint declaration of human rights abuses on the island. A court in Ecuador has revoked Julian Assange's naturalization, which was granted in 2017. Many Brazilians took to the streets to protest Bolsonaro and demand vaccines and food aid. The Workers' Party of Brazil, the PT, is worried about Lula da Silva's safety in next year's election. Then a viewpoint on the community of Latin American and Caribbean states, CELAC. Mexican President Obrador spoke out against U.S. open and covert operations against independent countries south of their border, often with the support of the Organization of American States. Radio Havana, Cuba.
7: On Monday, Cuba reminded Washington that the world has overwhelmingly rejected its behavior toward the island at the United Nations. Cuba Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez offered a prompt review to the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's announced joint declaration this Monday based on the support of a handful of countries pressed to abide by the U.S. dictates. Cuba has the support of 184 nations that demand the elimination of the blockade, wrote Bruno Rodriguez on Twitter, who also challenged the U.S. government to present evidence proving its libelous accusations against the island. This 26th of July, Secretary of State Blinken issued a statement reiterating bogus accusations of human rights abuses by the Cuban government during the unrest of last July 11. Joining the anti-Cuban text were... 20 countries, among them Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Guatemala, and Honduras.
8: A top court in Quito has ruled on the withdrawal of the Ecuadorian nationality granted to Julian Assange, the founder of the WikiLeaks website and who is in prison in the United Kingdom. Attorney Carlos Poveda told reporters, quote, The judges of the contentious administrative court have accepted the criteria of the foreign ministry and has declared null the naturalization letter that had been granted to Julian Assange. Paul Vader, who serves as the Australian journalist's defence attorney, affirmed that he will file an appeal to the resolution against his client, who, become, who became a naturalised Ecuadorian during the administration of Lenin Moreno in 2017. Assange, who sought asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy in London from 2012 to 2019. Over the weekend, the Brazilian people were the protagonists of a further stage in the wave of demonstrations demanding the end of the government of Jair Bolsonaro by adding a new demand in a movement that reached nearly 500 municipalities in that South American country. In addition to Out Bolsonaro, the demonstrators carried the slogans Vaccine in the Arm, Food on the Plate. The demands are the extension of immunization against COVID-19 and emergency food aid. The mobilizations also expressed outrage over allegations of corruption in the purchase of immunizers for nearly 550 deaths caused by the viruses. Demonstrators say that some of these deaths could have been prevented if the federal government had not first discouraged vaccinations. Brazil's Workers' Party, the PT, is analysing systems to reinforce the security of former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva during the 2022 election campaign. According to the portal Brazil 247, opinions are being exchanged discreetly within the political organization, taking into account, quote, the radicalization of the political environment and the aggressiveness of supporters of the president, the bolsonaristas, who are perceived as a risk for Lula's personal safety. The site points to a report from the newspaper Folha de Sao Paulo that warns, quote, It is no secret that an important part of the Bolsonaroista base is enthusiastic about weapons and that this group, like the ex-military, supports the use of violence. The site alludes to the fact that the Bolsonaroista's relations with the militia and the most radical sectors of the state police are notorious. The Community
9: of Latin American Caribbean States, CELAC, is once again proving its worth and its necessary consolidation as a mechanism for integration and solidarity, in the face of the constant attacks by the United States against regional countries and the pandemic that demands joint action. Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador made this clear during the 21st meeting of the bloc's foreign ministers when he stated that. The United States has never stopped carrying out open or covered operations against independent countries south of the Rio Bravo. This is the reality of the continent, where with the support of the OAS, the Organization of American States, and its Secretary General Luis Almagro, the United States has insisted and has even intensified its interference against Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba – against which it is promoting a soft coup and maintaining the blockade even in the midst of the difficult conditions imposed by COVID-19. This was the first CELAC face-to-face meeting since the emergence of the disease and was attended by all Member States as a sign of support to a mechanism that favors citizens and encourages development initiatives to create a fairer society. Mexico has given a new impetus to the bloc. Since Lopez Obrador got to power in 2020, the organization has sought common aspects, the elements that unite us within our diversity, as it is an option for dialogue, exchange, and cooperation without interference of the U.S. This meeting at the emblematic Chapultepec Castle was a reflection of this desire for greater unity in the face of difficult times since precisely this castle was defended by six age military cadets known as heroes during the American invasion of 1847. And this need to work together has also become more than evident in the face of COVID-19, which has a particularly strong impact on the region. That's why one of the central themes of the 21st meeting of foreign ministers was to seek actions to advance in vaccination campaigns in view of the monopolization of immunizers by the world's richest nations. In that sense, Mexico, was pro tempore president, sent vaccines to member countries such as Bolivia, Hawaii, Belize, and Honduras, among others. Another hope for the continent is that, thanks to the efforts made, Cuba already has a vaccine, Abdallah the first in Latin America and the Caribbean, and has four other vaccine candidates. The initiative of Mexico and Argentina to produce and package immunos for the area, as well as the medical aid provided by Cuba, and the donation and distribution through the mechanism of pulmonary ventilators are also of paramount importance. Likewise, during this time of pandemic, a network of specialists was created to deal with the disease and shared information and experiences. In these difficult times of aggression and pandemics, the community of Latin American Caribbean states has demonstrated, as it has since its official foundation in 2011, the need to put aside political differences and work together for the well-being of the region's 600 million inhabitants.
0: Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are no longer updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either six thousand, sixty sixty, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show that's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please take a moment and make a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at the website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.